Revolting is produced by the Cycling Independent, the only cycling media completely free of commercial influence. We are community-supported and dedicated to the whole of cycling. As our tagline says, if you ride bikes, you're one of us. This is Revolting with Steve and Robot on the Cycling Independent, Episode 5, Trying Too Hard. Which is an appropriate uh, title for this, because it could be argued that this podcast, in this podcast, we're trying too hard. But I have to say, we have to say that we, uh, if you've got sensitive ears or, or delicate sensibilities that you might want to turn this off. Uh, there's no sense in listening to something that might piss you off and then you'll send angry emails or whatever. So just save yourself the trouble and uh, take your leave. Go listen to any of the other podcasts that are on the Internet. And, um, you know, it's OK. We'll, we'll remain friends. I love an angry email, though. Actually, if you're out there and you're about to turn this off, you haven't turned it off yet. Send the angry email, like turn it off, but also send the angry email. <laughs> That's a win win. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's good. As long as I don't have to, I get sensitive about it and then I have to fight. I stew about it a little bit. Oh, yeah. I'm like, why did why that person even. They had every opportunity to go to any other part of the Internet, yet they stayed there. Just so they could find something to be angry about. Yeah, I had one of those. I had one of those a couple <clears throat> weeks ago. I do the other podcast, <clears throat> The Pace Line with Patrick. And uh, I read, I, I was like, I want to go check out the reviews. And one guy called me out. He's like, I didn't like this before. And I like it even less now that John's involved. <laughs> I was like, oh, Sweet. That is so good. Right. And I was, I was sort of like, I was a little hurt about it. I was like, oh, oh man, like I made it like I made it worse. Well, but then I, I found you that really I can't th- make all the people happy all the time. I think no. that's an important thing to remember. And, yeah, you know, we're kind of we're kind of cutting our teeth with this. Like you've had you've had experience with doing podcasts. I have no experience. I barely have experience listening to them. <laughs> And it's funny because I got a text from my friend Ian this morning and he has been writing me pretty consistently about doing a podcast for about two and a half years. And he claims that I was ignoring him, but I claim that it just the timing wasn't right. And I didn't know what was involved and I didn't have a mic and I didn't have anybody to produce it. And I didn't know what I would talk about anyway, Mm. which clearly hasn't stopped me from getting involved in this one. But um, well, we bought you a mic. You bought you bought me a <laughs> mic, too. and you and you talk. You know, I mean, to have somebody kind of show me the way. This wasn't anything that I was going to embark on on my of my own volition. You know, just because I'm not like I've talked about before. My business is just barely kind of floating, and I got it to a point where I could figure out how to maintain it and how it can op- stay operational. Mm. But I don't fucking know how to do any of this stuff. Yeah. My, well, we're, my we're, I'm a fraud. My, I'm a fraud. My entire professional existence is. I don't think you're a fraud. I think that fraud. you are authentically inept. <laughs> I, 
I think that, what you Jesus. just said was my stickers just write themselves. Yeah, I think I think you're not fooling anyone. You're not. I don't think you I in all of the media that you've generated that I've consumed, I never once feel like I heard or read, hey, guys, I'm really good at stuff. Pay attention to me. <laughs> well, it's you know, and I'm kind of working on my own like self-perspective and being nice to myself and practicing self-care. And I think that part of me acknowledging that I'm not good at stuff was also just me like letting the world know that I'm not good at stuff before they had an opportunity to let me know that oh, I'm not, yeah. they don't think I'm good at stuff. So I mean, to, to just to keep it <sighs> like a hunt, you know, all on the table, you are very good at stuff. You're, there are plenty of people trying to make a living out of, their whatever their lifestyle pursuits are and you do it you know uh jam and econo so to speak but big, you do that time. and there's a ton of people that can't and don't so you are good at stuff and i think yeah i definitely get that um i have teenage sons that tell me how like stupid i am about technology and that's a whole different thing when you have somebody, well, kid, I mean, kids are, kids are born into it, you know, like yeah. we're this sort of middle generation where, you know, I didn't have computers in my high school and then I went to art school. And of course there's not, there's like one computer at my college. And by the time I got out of college, computers were starting to kind of be a thing and everybody knew how to use them, but I wasn't still wasn't in a position where I ever got the opportunity to learn how to use them. It just kind of like the whole thing sort of passed me by with a generation just below us. Yeah. They were everywhere and it was, right. it's easily accessible. And now you've got six year olds who can write code. And, you know, meanwhile, I'm still kind of like trying to figure out how to navigate. Well, here we have two 50 year old men recording a podcast through high density. I don't know what that means. Microphones recording digitally producing, you know, this is killer content. <laughs> it really is. It really is. You just wait. This is going to be this is going to be the best episode we've done. Yeah, I let's do, get I, to it. Yeah, I do, I do want to say. Um, so we've said now we're in the fifth episode. We just mentioned that we're um, uh, initially we described our relationship as one. We were we were familiar with one another, but we hadn't ever really crossed paths. So last week we recorded. <laughs> And um, we afterwards we were describing or discussing the possibility of maybe doing a secondary podcast and where it would be found. We didn't know, but like, let's take an hour and just talk about records or a couple of records that we really like. And um, so we have hours now uh, <laughs> conversing with one another and talking on the phone and emailing. Yeah. And you began describing this situ situation where you had just come back from a Guar show. And then right. it was like, it was like the skies opened up and I realized that I do know you and you used to email me in the early days of, uh, my, my, just after I'd launched all hail the black market. And I really enjoyed the emails that you sent me in and, and you gave me some really good music recommendations. And then you just kind of disappeared. And this guy who was emailing me, right. who I was emailing with, just kind of disappeared. 
And I always kind of wondered what happened to him. You know, there, there have been a few fixtures in my correspondences that I have lost track of. And I kind of curious, you know, you develop relationships with people and you develop some familiarity with people. Whatever happened to that guy? And then it turns out I've been doing a fucking podcast with him and I, I didn't even know it. I didn't even know it. Like it's how I get through life is just a fucking mystery. So that's kind of funny. Now, now I know we already knew each other and we yeah, sort of, I mean, dude, it's a decade. We've been had, we've had exchanges on some degree or to some degree or another for 10 years, at least. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. So at the beginning of all hail the market, all hail the black market, I was like, I recognized, you know, kindred spirit person. And I was, you know, so we, I corresponded with you, but then I think I reached, I reached a point in my internet relationships where I was like, this is kind of, this is weird. This sort of these disembodied relationships are weird. I'm sure Steve has enough people emailing him random nonsense. Doesn't need my nonsense. I don't know. So I just I don't know. I I disappeared myself. Yeah. But well, I liked your I liked your nonsense, and it's just yeah. kind of well. I'm well, glad we have it back together. Yeah. Um. It, it kind of goes to show you know wherever you go, there you are. Like yeah. you, you stay in the trenches long enough. You keep walking the same circles long enough and you're going to cross paths with all the other people who are walking the same circles. So, well, I think, I think that that's true. And I, and what's, I realized, so when I was, you know, late teens, early twenties, I was super into the punk rock of that moment. Right. And I still had this vibe, like those, those guys are rock stars. It was still that same relationship of like, I'm this tiny nobody out here, which is a mm -hmm. role I like. And and they're this big glowing star. Right. Mm -hmm. But then if you stay in the scene and you stay interested, mm -hmm. like inch by inch, those people come closer and closer until you you're running into them or like you're they're friends of your friends yeah. or it's bizarre. It's super cool. I've had a few experiences like that with uh, certainly within cycling, um, uh, but but also within skateboarding and and music, uh, neither of which I would ever have expected, you know, like the 14 to 18 year old me is just absolutely giddy that I get to rub elbows from time to time with these people who I'm, you know, I'm familiar with for decades. Right. And, and they're not familiar with me, but then suddenly we're standing around and shooting the breeze or, you know, it's almost like I, I always said, I, I, I ran into Jeff Grasso at a, at a, a contest, a skateboard contest in Oakland a few years ago. And we'd had a couple of exchanges. Like it was clear that we knew people in common and, uh, my old housemate Christian has done a, he's done all of his graphics for years, 
And I run into him on the deck at the skate park and he turns around. He just, he throws his arms around me, gives me a big hug. I was just like, yeah. oh man. Like it's almost at this point, everybody's just happy to see that everybody else is still alive. <laughs> you know, like, okay, yeah. you still, you've been, you've committed to this existence. You've committed to this directive for so many years. Like right. you're, you're, it's clearly important to you. You're not a hanger on. Yeah. I think, um, I, I think, you know, the, 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 the phrase punk rock, uh, or skate culture, they're sort of like caricatures of what actually is underneath them. Like people who associate punk rock with, well, for example, just to associate it with just music, like that's a genre of music. I don't feel that way. I feel like, oh, that's actually an ethos that celebrates, you know, honesty, hard work, do it yourself, but also nonsense, pointless nonsense, pointless, destructive nonsense. You know, like it's all it's all this thing. And I never right. stopped. I never stopped. Listening to the purveyors of that ethos. Yeah, I I always I always I always like that that part of it and kind of like you, you're the fucking weirdos, you know? Right. We we uh, some friends of mine used to have a mustache party every year because why not? You know, of course, celebrate the mustache and you'd grow a mustache for six months and then you'd go you'd have like the best pickup line and a talent portion of the competition and. Mm -hmm. We would always do it at my my friend's house in Oakland. And then one time we we did it at this bar in San Francisco and there happened to be a punk show that night. And my uh, costume was I picked it up at a thrift store on my way there and I had these like tiny blue shorts on and a Taz <laughs> half shirt, you know, like Taz mm -hmm. from the, the Warner Brothers cartoon mm -hmm. and a fanny pack and mm -hmm. a, a huge mustache. And Sounds hot. Um, I looked every bit if you've ever seen me without a shirt on like i've like i've got a a, a, a 70s era hairy chest so mm. a half shirt and tiny shorts was not my best look but it, it felt good for me for the contest and there were <laughs> it felt good for me for the contest like the the bands yeah. that were there that were playing there was like three <laughs> punk bands that were playing and they just one of the bands was cool, but actually all the bands were cool. It was the crowd that showed up. It was like all of these, you know, air quote, punkers showing up to see the punk bands. And they were just looking down their nose at me. And I'm like, you guys are fakers. You're fakers. <laughs> like yeah. you're trying to, you're trying to be the, the weirdo and you're trying to be the. You put like, on the uniform. That's exactly it. And this is just, this is, you're treating me like you profess to be treated. You, you express that you're treated by the rest of society. And so you don't give a shit. So you're going to put on your spikes and your, and your Mohawks and your Liberty spikes and your boots and your bondage pants or whatever, but you're going to treat me with my fucking sweet Taz hat shirt. Like <laughs> I'm a bigger fucking weirdo than you. So why are right. we not? Cause that's how it was when I was growing up. Yeah. The, guys were supposed to be friends. The nine balls were all friends with each other because nobody yeah. else wanted to be friends with them. Yeah. Uh, so I, I just thought <laughs> that that was kind of it. Anyway, we're way off the fucking rails here. Yeah. 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 Today's yeah. episode yeah. is about 
Injuries. Trying, trying too hard, getting hurt. So l- let let me just bring it down. I so uh, the internet showed me a clip of you skating yesterday. I don't know when that skating happened because the internet can t- show you things at whatever it thinks sure. is gonna. You know, it was recently. It was yeah, within the last week. So my question is, you you skate, and I don't skate mainly because I can't fall like I'm nowhere near good enough to not fall down a lot. <laughs> yeah. You, yeah. Um, how often do you that you skate? Do you hurt yourself? Uh, well, I mean, I'm always I got I always have bloody knees, bloody shins. There's a guy that I used to skate with and, I'd, you know, I'd show up and I'd have like. And I bleed a lot, a lot, too, on top of it, <laughs> like when I bleed at all, I bleed a yeah. lot. And yeah. Um, this guy was like, dude, you are always, you, are, you always look like this. Like my, the, my pant legs are like stained with blood. You know what yeah. I mean? It, it was, you it did was, send me a photo of several shots of you bleeding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. T one was just a crash, like on a ride. And then one was in Portland and I, I crashed because I mean, there's there's story, you know, like long, boring stories behind each of them. But yeah, so I I bleed a lot. Um, grievous injury, I think would be the word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I thankfully and knock on wood, I don't have those too often. But I definitely, excuse me, in 2015, I crashed uh, on a really simple little traverse on this trail. And blew my right knee out and tore my ACL and my MCL and my meniscus. And that was the first big injury I've, I'd ever had. And then 10 months after that, um, I crashed and it's like simple stuff. Like, you know, you just like something gets a little squirrely and you pitch your bike. Yeah. And it wasn't, it wasn't ass over tea kettle kind of calamity it was just a really simple step up but i happened to land on these on these sharp pieces of metal that were hidden in the ivy and i oh, cut yeah, myself yeah, yeah. real you told bad. that story then, yeah 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 and then from there i got cellulitis which is essentially i guess a sort of a blood infection and then shortly after i got shingles which i understand <laughs> can happen when you have physical or emotional stress like it doesn't matter if you're old right. or you're young yeah and so that whole year was basically illness and injury. And it took me a really long time to kind of find my kind of find my flow again after that, yeah. you know, like the psychological impact of getting hurt and being laid up was, uh, you know, I thought I was going to maybe have to investigate hypnotherapy or something. Because at one point, not long after, maybe a year after I was riding up in Squamish and the trails there are super gnarly and you're riding across, you know, these skinnies that are 10 feet off the ground. And I was having like vertigo and definitely having a consistent risk versus reward conversation. Like I can do this thing. But if I can't do this thing and I get super fucked up and I'm out again, yeah, you know, it's more I would rather walk psychologically. I was, yeah. It was gnarly, man. It was I would rather walk this thing 
and kind of be bummed with myself because I know I can write it than writing it and, and accidentally slipping up and getting laid up again. I mean, I was so out of my head after I blew my knee out. I was like telling my wife, like, I'm never leaving the house again. Like, this is it for me. I'm packing it all up because I can't. Yeah. I was it was it was really traumatizing. I, I had I had a, an experience like this. Well, I broke my collarbone last year, which was fine. Um, but then I had a frozen shoulder after the collarbone healed. Oh, yeah. Where I couldn't lift my arm really probably like 30 degrees total. And I couldn't bear any weight on it and I couldn't ride. And that lasted. And, you know, you talk to the doctor about it and the doctor's like, well, you're old now. So really, there's no timeline on it. It'll let go when it's ready to let go. (laughs) And that definitely fucked me up when it came around again i was like if i jolt this thing or fall off and i go back into the indefinite whatever like it's gonna break me mentally Mm -hmm. so i had that happen and then i had just day before yesterday i had a really fucked up dehydration experience that is actually fucking my head up even this morning. (laughs) Um, Oh, it's only, what, 48 hours ago that you experienced this. Yeah, and this was... So I the background is I went out to do a long solo run. Uh, It's like a 15 miles. It's out and back. It's hard. It's super technical. It was dumb. Like... I don't know what I was trying to prove, but I wanted to do something really hard by myself just to, I don't know. I don't know. I find those things very focusing in a way. So anyway, I wanted to do that and I went out and it was, it was raining, but it was so humid and I ended up um, like around the 10 mile mark, just hitting this strange wall. And I'm trying to climb these these super steep rocky hills and my heart rate won't I can't I, I I was like I'm having a cardio I'm having like a cardiac event here and then I'm like dizzy and I'm just trying to stay moving on the trail I don't want to tell the the whole story it's it's you know there's layers of stupidity in it where I'm out by myself trying to do something that apparently is over my head and I didn't double down on my hydration the way I should and, you know, various mistakes I made that are, you know, clear and real and people, you know, I should be the cautionary tale for people. But, you know, the knock on for for me is like I'm I'm really I'm for all my bullshitting around, you know, the way I engage the bike and running and all the stuff that I do. I'm very fit for 49 and change. And this caught me totally. This blindsided me. I went from like, I'm doing pretty well to. I might really need help here. I might live sp- out here now. This might yeah. be my new life. Yeah. I'm, I'm growing a beard and making friends with the volleyball. Cause there's no way I'm getting home again. 
Yeah. And what's so here's a really here's an old man stupid thing. I was so wet from rain and sweat. I couldn't when my phone would not register my touch. So I was like, I got to call my wife for a rescue pickup, but I couldn't. Are you sure that it was uh, are you sure that it was dehydration? I'm not sure about anything. I'm just a guy. I mean, it might it might be. Worth investigating and the only reason i say that is uh a couple years uh maybe four or five years ago i went to see this blood doctor in Mm. henderson nevada Mm -hmm. (laughs) and he took a little sample of my blood and he looked at it under a microscope and he said he works with like magic johnson and all the mma fighters and all these professional athletes you know but Mm -hmm. he just works in relative obscurity anonymity in this little office in Henderson because he heals people, you know, he treats people Mm -hmm. and, and the medical industry doesn't like that very much. Mm -hmm. So he takes a look at my blood and he's like, you, your blood has got cholesterol plaque. Like your blood cells are immature. You're You got cholesterol plaque all over the place. You've got parasites, blood parasites, which if you eat vegetables, you're going to get little squigglies in your blood anyway. So he said, you know, for whatever reason, I think this is because you eat, you have meat protein, you eat meat protein and you have processed sugar. And I don't eat a ton of meat and I don't eat a ton of processed sugar. But for whatever reason, because of my body chemistry, these two things were working in tandem against me. Mm-hmm. And he said, you are on the fast track to a cardiac event. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm like, well, what? I'm fit. I'm youngish, you know? And he said, it doesn't matter. And then if you do have one, you're going to end up being on fucking Lipitor for the rest of your life. So all you have to do is make this simple adjustment in your diet, take the supplement and come back and see me in six months. And I did. And I went back and my blood was like gold star. Yeah. Uh, and around that same time, I saw a guy in Vegas and a friend of his was out on a ride. It's like 45 years old. Got lightheaded, it's kind of dizzy, and had a fucking heart attack. Yeah. You know? And it was just that simple. And he is now forever on some kind of medication. So I just wonder, like, maybe yeah. it was dehydration, but it wouldn't be a bad idea to get a uh, a professional's opinion. Yeah. No, I think that makes sense. I think that makes sense. But it's <clears throat> it gets at this thing of, like... Not being young anymore and not being able to like hurl yourself against the wall and then scrape up what's left at the end and have a burrito and go on with your life. Yeah. Well, again, that's the sort of risk versus reward. And it comes in a lot of different. It shows up in a lot of different ways. You know, like if it's if we're talking about going out and doing a ride and, and riding a section that makes you nervous, you know, like. You can. You can, it's good to push yourself. It's good to test yourself. It's good to kind of make yourself a little scared because every time you step just a little bit over that line, you get, you become that much adept, that much more adept, a writer. Yeah. You move Um, the line. mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then you become, you know, and like everybody that I'm riding with now, it's everybody is super good. Like everybody's (laughs) good. And so that pushes me seriously. Yeah, that pushes me to try to keep up and try to ride stuff. And I'm, you know, I'm constantly 
freaked out because this whole risk versus reward conversation I've had for so many years, plus my wrists are totally blown out. I might have a good day where I don't feel them and I might have a day where I'm having a hard time holding on to my bike. Yeah. Uh, but the, you don't, I don't, so there's, there's sort of multiple tiers of this conversation. And one is that you want to, one is that you want to push yourself because that's the only way that you become more capable. Mm-hmm. But that's right. Yep. The other side of the conversation is you don't want to push yourself too hard because either you are risking injury or as you get older and it, and as you get older, injury takes more time. You take more time to recover from injury. Right. Or you run into these, these mystery things where you're like, well, I thought I was fit, but then I had a cardiac event or I thought I was fit, but your yeah. body just isn't, you know, we're not, none of us are the physical phenoms that we, that we maybe picture ourselves as being. And well, even I, though we are capable of doing some pretty amazing shit for being, you know, middle age. I think that's right. But I think, <clears throat> I think there's, there's, for me, there's the, the psychology of it. There's, there's two, there's actually two aspects. There's the one where there's the fear one that we're talking about, right? Where you're like, uh, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to take the big risk, but I do want to take managed risks. I want to like keep pushing, pushing. And that's both a like technical thing. Like, can I ride this skinny, uh, without wrecking my face? Or it's also like, can I do 15 miles of technical trail running? Um, which is like a physical capacity thing. And, you know, and was I afraid of that thing? Yeah, I was afraid of that thing. And part of the reason to do it was because I thought like, if I can do this thing, then I'll feel more comfortable with these other things that I want to do. So there's that aspect, right? There's the fear thing. And I strongly believe that fear is bullshit, that fear, it's not bullshit in the sense of like, there's real stuff there in a lot of cases, but I refuse to like move forward in my life curbed by my fear. It serves a, it serves a purpose, right? It serves a purpose, but I want to fuck with it. Yeah. Well, that's (laughs) the, you're, you're either paralyzed by it. You're, you're ruled by it. Yeah. Or, or you, try to maintain a healthy relationship with it. And if you're ruled by it, you just live underneath it. Like you're kind of under its thumb. If you try to develop a relationship with it, the, the, the parameters of that are always changing, you know, from one day to the next, you're always going to be, it's always going to be there and you acknowledge it and you respect it, but you say, I'm going to put you over on the side. This is the best way that I figured out how to, to manage this. And this has been, it was six years ago that I had those crashes. Right. And I'm just now this year starting to recognize what my, what my relationship with, with fear looks like and how I can coexist with it because it's not, it's not going anywhere. You know, it takes a lot longer to recover and shit fucking hurts 
like out the door, everything kind of hurts. I have every to stretch day. It every just, day. Everything hurts. That I always is joke. So... I always joke that like I have to take Advil to get out of bed. You know, which I yeah. I don't. I I don't take really anything. Right. But but it's like man, fuck. If I don't stretch as much as possible, I'm paying for it all the time. I'm stretching before I'm getting out of bed in the morning. I'm like in the bed, like trying to get my ankles to work before I get up to pee. Yeah. Because that's where I'm at. I could justify Advil every day. I don't take it. I don't ever take. It's so bad bad for you. Yeah. And the more you take it, the less it works. And I love, you know, like if I need it, taking a little bit. Yeah. I'm I'm all about it, but I want to steer clear the best I can. Same, same. So, so there's the fear thing and I'm with you. Like I want to have a relationship with it and the relationship. I mean, I learned Sunday, the relationship is not what, what you thought it was or you're not holding as many cards (laughs) as you thought you were. So that's one aspect. But the other aspect is I don't want to become a lame old dude. Uh huh. I don't want to. I don't I think want any of us who who do stuff, any number of people, man, woman, or child who are lis- who are listening to this, they nobody wants to. You know, yeah. it's it's how how you you don't want to become, you don't want to break yourself off, and then and then just like, well, this used to be my life, but now I've I went so big for so long that I can't do anything. Right, you have to manage it. That's where I'm but like driving away from the trailheads Sunday after uh, some young guy actually found me sitting and like gave me some water, like enough to get myself moving again and, and get out to the end of the trail again. But I was like, uh, uh, I'm fucking done. I <laughs> that's in that moment. Of course, I was like in max pain at that point, but I was like, I I'm. I can't, my ego just wrecked me. And this is, this is the other piece. So there's the relationship with fear. And then there's the ego piece where it's like, I refuse to tap out on doing stupid things. Like I give my life meaning by doing stupid things and being, being the person who does the stupid thing. Nobody cares if I retire and from whatever this nonsense lifestyle is and write haiku all day, every day. My wife cares, but, um, <laughs> you know, like nobody really gives a shit. There's no like there's no there's no scoreboard where they're like, well, John was doing really well. And now he's down here at asshole level. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, it could be argued that we're all at asshole, like we're yeah, all starting yeah, I mean, at asshole. That's level. where I live. <laughs> Uh, you, you, okay. The, I, I haven't really thought about, I haven't really thought about the ego, but it definitely, you know, we align for better, for worse. We align a little bit of who we are, our personalities with these things that we do. And if we don't do these things and who, who are we? Right. Like, how can I be the guy that, how can I be the person who promotes this activity or this lifestyle or th- these hijinks? When I don't do any of them myself, then I'm just right. resting on my history. Like my, my entire right. identity is wrapped up in my history and not my present or my future. 
So there, yeah, I get, I get that. I haven't really put it into, or I haven't looked at it through that lens before, but there's something to it. There's uh, imposter complex anyway, right? Oh, it's the worst. Even though you do this stuff, like you, you were talking a minute ago about all these guys you ride with that are better than you mm-hmm. are. You, you have an imposter complex riding with them where you're like, I'm the, I'm the fucking weakest link here. And I hope mm-hmm. nobody notices. <laughs> they, they do. Well, well, you know, it is good I, to were, surround yourself with people who know exactly. <laughs> there who there you was are. a time. There was a time where I, you know, that I was like in the mix. You know, I, yeah, I, I was a contender, and yeah. and I just don't. I don't know. I don't have it anymore. But then you just say like, all right, well, what kind of enjoyment do I get out of this? And it's funny because after the last, I guess the last episode we recorded, we we're talking about you know how do I find being the kid on my bike in the vacant lot. Like, where do I find yeah. that bliss? Like, how do I retain yeah. that perspective and that, that feeling and that response? And I worked for most of the day. I think I was that day. I was on the computer from seven 30 in the morning until about three o'clock in the afternoon, like solid, just working, whatever. Cause uh, I had some other stuff I had to write. And then I don't, I don't even know what I was doing. But I was actually working. I wasn't just like watching cat videos or whatever. And so then that afternoon, I decided to get out and I wrote, I absolutely turned myself inside out. Like there wasn't, there was not even a modicum of kid in a vacant lot in this. It was just abuse. <laughs> and it was fun, you know, and I, I yeah. definitely felt pretty sore, pretty, pretty wrung out the next day. But it was just it was one of those things where it was like, I have to ride as hard as I can for as long as I can. And then I stopped and I sat on a pile of wood and I drank a can of beer and talked to a couple of people. But then once I got out, like that was the intermission. And then I got back on my bike and I back was to self-abuse. You know, breathing out of my eyeballs. Yeah. Yeah. And just for no reason, it was the, it was the absolute opposite of everything we expressed that day. Yeah. Well, I, there, you know, I think of, I used to get mad at a, at a friend of mine. We would do a great ride together and he would say, that was a great workout. Mm. And I'd say, fuck you. (laughs) Don't call that a yeah, don't call that a workout. Like what? Nerd. You just fucking ruined that for me. <laughs> Shut up. At the same time, you know, I do think it's true that exercise or whatever activity is like hygiene, right? Like if you don't do it, you're missing out on a thing that's, you know, good for your health, right? If you 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 yeah. got to maintain a certain if you want to if you want to keep raging, you have to, you also have to do, you know, some stuff. Stella, um, do you know Stella Carey? She was a, she used to race cross for, I don't know. She was sort of a Bay Area, she was a Bay Area fixture. But at one point we were in a, we were in a one speed race together. It was this thing. It was actually, this, it was a pretty cool thing. It was like a scavenger hunt that, that uh, Rick Hunter and a couple other people used to put on in Santa Cruz where you would have two people who weren't locals and one person who was a local. And then you'd get a list of things that you had to bring back. But it was this whole route. You had to get this certain kind of pine cone. You had to find a smash beer can and you had to find a certain kind of seashell. Yeah. And then you had to stop by this one place and eat a donut. And this is, you know, this is bef- kind of before... Alley cats came a became a thing. It was just this 
I don't know. It's just like this invitational thing that they used to do. Uh, anyway, so you're only, you're only like your team is only as fast as your slowest person. So if the first two people come in first and the third person comes in seventh and you get seventh place, whatever. So we would go out and it was like a three hour, maybe the three or four hour, uh, race and riding single speeds is, you know, it's hard enough. That's self-abuse anyway. Back and knees and wrists and everything as it was. And I remember Stella saying, you know, at what, at what point does this become not very good for us anymore? Like we're doing this for our health, but I think it crosses, it crosses the line, you know, like we're, this isn't, there's nothing good about this. It's not like sustained efforts. It's not. Right. Right. It doesn't fit in the book. The textbook doesn't have that shit in it. It's fucking powerlifting for four hours. You know, though, I, I think I said this before. I don't believe in optimization. I think there's this, especially in cycling, there's this whole culture about optimization. Like, this is what you should eat. You should do these intervals. You should be at this percent of effort and whatever. And I'm I'm really like, I, I, I think that's great for the type A folks who really get off on, you know, checking every box. But I'm, my thing is kind of like, fuck it. I'm going to. As long as I keep moving, I'm doing fine. Some of the shit I do it will be bad for me. It'll be too much work. You know, definitely I crater myself like I cratered myself on Sunday. That was stupid. But whatever. Yeah. You know, I got up and went out this morning, too, um, and didn't feel that great, if I'm honest. But but whatever, like keep just as long as I keep going, it's not about like, I can't worry about each little thing. I just like in the big, larger picture, as long as I keep going, I'm going to be great. Right. Well, like we had mentioned previously, and I don't remember, I remember who originally said it, but you know, you have to maintain all things in moderation, including moderation. Yeah, that that's exactly right. And that's a tough one to live by because you're still chasing some ghost of who you thought you were, who you used to be or who your friends are, or there's always something, there's always some carrot, you know, that's That's a hard one to, that's a hard one to let go of. You Um, should, if you smoke, you should definitely quit smoking, but sometimes you do have to put a cigarette out on your forearm. That's (laughs) just the first time I ever saw Bob roll in person was at a nationals race in Conyers, Georgia, mm-hmm. where the, it was, when was the Olympics in 96? The Olympics were in Georgia in 96. That could be right. Let's say. So this was 98. It was the same course that they have yeah. for the mountain bike race. And, um, I, of course I knew who Bob Roll was and I knew of him from his, his road racing days and the badass pictures of him taking the hard line through Bay and, and, uh, so I'm sitting on the side, like by the finish line and just kind of watching people roll through. And this is like, you know, Tinker's heyday and Greg Randolph was racing for polo. And, mm-hmm. um, who are the other, who are the, uh, Steve Larson and, you know, like there was those, there were like the fast, the fast Americans and then a bunch of European guys. Julian was probably in the mix anyway. <clears throat> and Bob rolls through the finish line and whatever 18th place or whatever and just rolls over 
lays his bike down on this little hill next to me and pulls out a cigarette and lights it. And I was like, that guy is so fucking cool. Like, he's just a level of not giving a shit. Nobody paid any attention to him. This is just part of, you know, this is just how he rolls. Like, finish the finish the race, light a yeah. cigarette. Like, yeah. That's punk. That's punk as fuck. Bob's yeah. the best. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely don't smoke, but sometimes smoke. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> You you know, what's funny. (laughs) So last week I, we, you and I, we talked about records and then for some reason I was like, I really want to listen to big black. You had talked about shellac, I think. Uh And I was like, yeah. So I put on, uh, like a live version of kerosene and I, and then when I was out Sunday, when I was still feeling good, I had kerosene in my head. I was like, yeah, set me on fire. Like I was just, I was so fucking amped uh but i did i just you know i put the metaphorical cigarette out on my forearm <laughs> you, you actually burned your own house down i did i did there was nothing that's, else to do that's but, <laughs> you know <clears throat> part of it for me this was a big this is i'm gonna get serious for a second so was it a year no it was two years ago almost Exactly two years ago, I watched my dad die. I, you know, like he was sick for a long time and then we had him in hospice and the deal on hospice is you sit there and you watch someone you care about a lot die. Mm -hmm. Um, So I did that. And, you know, as I'm sitting there and it took that was four days that we just kind of sat there. And, you know, I spent a lot of that time trying to sum my debt. Like, how do you wrap? He was 80. I was like, how do you wrap your head around 80 years of life? How do I like, what do I distill that to? And what's like, what's my takeaway? And and, you know, the the profound. (laughs) As much as I'm capable, the profound realization I came to was like. I must not fuck around for a moment. And, you know, you can't live balls to the wall all the time. Right. But I definitely was, you know, my dad, my dad worked, was a workaholic. He was always delaying gratification, worked very hard. The year he retired, he got diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. So he never really got to enjoy his retirement the way he thought he would. And I was like, yeah, I think what I think what he's telling me here is like, do not fuck around. And so it's a beautiful lesson, but really hard to enact, you know, like it takes a lot of energy, right? It takes a lot of drive. Yeah. And 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 but I feel that and and it's compounded by the fact that I'm getting older and, you know, as we've discussed, less capable. You know, there's, there's no reason for me to go out and run a super technical 15 mile trail run by myself in the rain. There's no reason for that. But I, I'm also like, maybe I won't be able to do that next year. So, Mm -hmm. you know, put your shoes on, let's go. It's a balance that you have to walk. Did you, did you ever read the Grammy handshake? Do you ever read the Grammy handshake? It was uh, Mike Farantino's monthly article in bike magazine. Mm. And it was from, I think the inception of the magazine until the last issue, like Farantino is, he's, a great writer and he has great insights and I've always really enjoyed his take on life 
But he had, uh, I don't remember what year it was, and I, I definitely don't still have the article anywhere in my archives, but it was shortly after Lance Armstrong had been diagnosed with cancer. And at the same time, a friend of his who was a traveling journalist was over here from the United Kingdom and had just returned to the United Kingdom and had been hit and killed by a truck. Mm. And so he was sort of um, elaborating on this idea of, um, you know, he's like, live each day like there might be a tomorrow. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, he said like, you never know. I, I'm, I'm, um, um, not gonna, I'm not gonna quote the article as it was exactly, but paraphrase, that's what I'm looking for. It's a kind of a paraphrase here, but it said when the doctor clears their throat in this, I've got bad news kind of way, or you never know when, you know, the truck is going to be bearing down on you from behind, you know, the way your hair looks doesn't matter. Bills don't matter. All of this extraneous stuff doesn't matter, but at the same time it does, you know, like that's a really important thing to remember. Try to recall is that yes, if today was my last day on earth, would I be sitting here doing this with you? Right. Like maybe, you know, <laughs> but at the same time, it, I don't know that. So tomorrow I might be around. If today was my last day on earth, I can guarantee you that I would make like tomorrow wouldn't matter. Right. But because it might be, it there might, might be a tomorrow, then I kind of have to, it's this, it's this weird balance. And I'm totally with you on that. Like, It's not just with going out and doing physical activity. It's it could be something as simple as taking a moment for yourself just to have some peace, whether it's taking a nap with your dog or doing something totally selfishly, totally for you or telling somebody that you haven't told who you that you love them, that you do. It can be something so simple like that, but just make sure that all of your I's are dotted and T's are crossed to the best of your ability. And I'm struggling with that like a motherfucker right now because there's someone that I all I want to do is tell them how I feel and I can't. So right. it goes both ways. The best you can do is the best you can do is live the best you can (laughs) now for you with, you know, your tools and your immediate environment. Well, I think what you brought up there is, is, you know, like if I were an actual Island, if I was just me, right. If I didn't have a wife, if I didn't have kids, if I didn't have a dog that depends on me and loves me in whatever way that he does, um, you know, I'd be getting a face tattoo today. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd be doing I would burn shit down. I mm-hmm. would, you know, what if if I was an actual island, but I'm not right. I, right. So people need me to be around. They need my love and encouragement, you know. And so I can't just throw it all against the wall. Um, and I'm I am mindful of that my wife and I talk about it all the time. She's like. I'm thinking stupid and she's helping me put the brakes on. Like we definitely like there's a balance there. She she's very cautious and I encourage her out and she t- 
tells me things like, you know, you don't you don't actually have to get your face tattooed. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I think the interdependence thing takes away the absolutes where you're like, time is short and I must live maximally in every moment. Right. Like You can't not on top of the fact that everything hurts and I'm tired all the time. (laughs) Well, you need you know, you need you know, you need money, you know, you need money for groceries. And, you know, so you say like, okay, I've got my savings. And if today was going to be my last thing, like I do some cool shit or I'd give it away or I do some cool shit and I'd give it away, whatever. Like the SPCA would be straight in chew toys and cat treats and whatever. Like I want to do that. I want to do that so badly, but I also have to keep in mind that there might be a tomorrow. There might be a tomorrow. That's such a, it's such a, it's like a cosmic prank, you know, like I want to, I want to do, I want to wear these two hats at the same time. And it's really, really hard. So you do the best you do to the best of your ability. And if that means taking small steps in the absurd, then that's what that means. That's okay too. I think it's hard for people like you and me. I'm attracted to extremes. Yeah. Oh yeah. We've, we've, We've definitely covered that. Like it can't be, it can't just be a simple compromise, but you have to go the absolute end of the conversation and right. do that. So then, cause look, my wife says this to me all the time, like balance, you know, moderation and mm-hmm. yeah, of course, balance, moderation. But like, I look in my colored pencils, I don't have that color. <laughs> <laughs> You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like I can't color with that because I don't. Maybe if I mix lunacy and <laughs> impulsiveness, does yeah. that get me? No. Yeah. So that's the hard thing f- for me, and that's you know that wraps back into that sense of identity. Like, no, I'm the guy that does the dumb thing. Yeah. God, the dumb thing is so good. I love dumb the dumb thing. So fun. Yeah. I went. Uh, I hung out with the Hodala, some of the Hodala kids in Seattle this past weekend, and I guess there was like eight of us. And it, somebody sent out a smoke signal that said, "Yeah, this is a sleeveless ride." Whatever. <laughs> so we were like, "Okay, everybody, show up." And we went out. And we just do. There's a whole bunch of urban trails and kind of like uh, game trails and whatever. And we maybe it's a ten, maybe it's a ten mile loop. It's not that big. There's a couple of beer stops, but. At one point, we stopped by this place. I think it's called Loretta's. They have hamburgers that are real good. And what I remember of going in there is we walked in and mass, just this rolling ball of like chaos, which if I was sitting in the place and these people came in, I would want to know them. I would want to know us, mm-hmm. right? I'd want to be a part of the thing. But it was clear that some people didn't feel that way. Mm. And these three old guys were sitting at the table at a table nearby and we walked in and they said something like, oh, you're the ones we try to hit with a car or something like that. And it was this like. Everybody just stopped and looked at them like I think they were trying to make a joke. They weren't being dickish just for the sake of being dickish, but they got they didn't get anything from us. They just got a bunch of confused stares. Yeah. Like that wasn't the joke to make. And then we went and sat down and it started to ramp up and ramp up and ramp up. And then my friend Sally and I, who I could best describe as the two most ill-behaved 10-year-olds you've ever seen in your life. It's just like, it just escalates with us. And so I invented the mustard high five and we were like doing shots of mustard. I, I, I filled my hand with mustard 
And then we high-fived each other and mustard went everywhere. And it was probably on the people around us. And there's mustard all over my clothes and there's mustard <laughs> in my hair and shit the next day. And I, I fucking loved it. Like I, it was, <laughs> it was so much fun and felt so good for my soul you know, and I wasn't going there specifically to piss the people off around us. And we definitely left a super hefty tip because there's probably a lot of mustard to be cleaned up at the end of the night. Uh, Someone's got to spray the mustard around, though. Somebody's got to spray. I just mustard. I just, you know, I don't know what my point was. Just getting to a point where you kind of like. You uh, you go to you go to the. You go to the, you go to the extreme, you go to yeah. the other end, it, you know, it's not, you can't be the person that always lives there. You can't always be right. the person that every time you go to dinner, you get in mustard wars. Right. Cause that's, that's not cool. Right. But periodically, if you want to light it up and the only A ones who are being affected, yeah. mustard high five is so good. <laughs> I encourage you to give your kid a mustard <laughs> high five. There's one time. I don't know why you're, that story reminds me of this, but this one time I was, this was a long time ago. We were sitting on someone's, this is when I still drank, <laughs> but we were sitting on somebody's back porch drinking and it was night, <clears throat> right? And it was like, they had one bulb to light the porch. So there was, I was sitting under the bulb and there were these moths, big moths flying around and I reached up and grabbed a moth and I put it in my mouth Oh. And then I opened my mouth and the moth flew out and everyone was like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> and so now I'm high on attention. <laughs> so I'm like, someone said they missed it, I think. I don't know why I I reached up again and I grabbed the moth. And this time and I was you, you move pretty quick. And I, I had a few beers at this point. And I I realized like right before the moth went in my mouth that when I grabbed it, I had killed it. Oh. Unfortunately, right? Poor moth. So the moth goes in my mouth and everyone's like, oh my God, that's God. They freak out again. And I put my tongue out and the moth is expired and it's just on my tongue. (laughs) And then everyone is like, not amused, but aghast, right? They're just like, oh, fuck. And then I'm like, well, there's nothing to do now, but swallow it. (laughs) (laughs) otherwise the moth died in vain yeah then what's that's not cool (laughs) you know utilize the protein yeah i was just i mean you know it was a it was a moment where the logical conclusion was you're an asshole you killed this moth i'm sorry that i mean i'm i'm glad that you don't drink for you and your (laughs) and your well-being but i'm sorry for me and and my uh, enjoyment of of hijinks. Yes, that I missed. I missed that chapter of your existence. It was ripe with hijinks until it was ripe with me trying to fight everybody. Mm-hmm. So that's you know, yeah, if you think about the regret, just think, yeah, but I didn't have to punch him. That's no good. <laughs> yeah, that's no. really what it was in the end. We're all glad that the train came into the station. Yeah, uh, with relative ease, and that it has stayed there. 
But I yeah. love stuff like that. I love drunken hijinks. It's probably yeah. one of my favorite sports. <laughs> Should be in the Olympics before skateboarding, I think. <laughs> I'd watch it before I'd watch Olympic skateboarding. I would watch it before I watched Olympic skateboarding. Yeah. I'm proud of those kids and I'm proud of the people who have gotten it there. And I'm glad that, you know, it's being recognized on a world stage, but I will not be watching it. Right. It is the uniforms and the hats and the shirts, the matching shirts and the shorts and stuff. It's just so fucking weird. No, the thing, the thing that happens on the loading dock at the mall does not happen at the Olympics. I'm no, those are not the same activity. I have tried when I've gotten kicked out of places, I've tried to let them know that I'm an, I'm an aspiring Olympian, you know, and yeah. they're doing a disservice to America by kicking me out. Yeah. But, um, shockingly, None of the security personnel that I've interacted with believed me. Oh, I know. I like to tell people that I'm a 12 time non Olympian and that my level <laughs> of consistency is something that they should admire and pay attention to. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'm not going to make it again this year, guys. So fucking listen up. <laughs> and then it's and, and the and the and the uh, Olympics after that, it's not looking real good for that one either. No, no, I'm right on track. <laughs> As long as I'm alive, I won't be going to the Olympics. That's Have you right. seen the cardboard beds that they've like they um, they're basically like fuck proof beds because they don't want so I read something. It's like I think, you know, these people who are like the pinnacles of physical ability will probably find a different way to fuck that doesn't involve the bed. Mm. They could probably do it standing up even. Yeah. Goodness. I mean, there's all kinds of gymnastic poses. And here's the thing. Genetically, humanity needs those people to be, Mm -hmm. you know, reproducing. If you're with it, I mean, I can't imagine there's like the Olympic Village of whatever in Rio or what. I think they had they gave out like 100,000 condoms or something. It was just Sodom. (laughs) Was that a place? Was Sodom a place? Did I say that right? Yeah, no, I think that's correct. Okay. Okay. What's Gamora? Um, Gamora was the chaste place, right? Oh. I think they were twin okay, cities. Okay, so Sodom was the fun place. Yeah. You and Gamora me was the definitely getting a sublet in Sodom. <laughs> uh, that probably came out wrong, too. But anyway. <laughs> I, I'm picking up what you're laying down. In yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, the next thing that we're gonna, we were talking about was uh, as a fear of becoming a lame old person drive either of us to continue. Did we cover that? We did cover it a bit. I don't want to be, I don't know. I don't think they're mutually exclusive. I think you can, it doesn't, nothing, nothing's driving. I think I can speak for you. Nothing's driving us to hurt ourselves specifically. Right. Right. It's just, it's what drives us to risk potentially hurting ourselves. Yeah. I think that's, I think the core truth is that we're both fucking lame. Hey, well, I mean, that's hurtful. I mean it. I mean it. I mean it in a freeing way. You got nothing to prove. No. You could do slappies all day long. Yeah, they're really fun. Yeah. You got nothing to prove. I'm never going to do many of the things that. I aspired to when I was young, like what I'm saying, what I'm trying to say is that there's this fallacy of not wanting to be lame. Like I'm already there. It's okay. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to say. We did cover that. Yeah. I think that, I think that's, um, 
uh, you know, if the bar, if the bar can't go any higher, then just be happy with where it's at. Yeah. I'm never going to kick flip over a garbage can. No, no, I was going to be, uh, I've been probably trying kick flips, not, not daily, you know, maybe once a month, I'll try it a couple of times. And this has been going on since 1988, I yeah. think never landed one, landed one with the front foot on, landed one with the back foot on. And of course, anytime anybody who doesn't know anything about skateboarding walks by and asks me if I can kick flip, I say no. And they look at me with this tinge of disgust. Right. Like you're not a fucking real skateboarder. It's like not being able to wheelie a bike. Yeah. Can't do that either. Can't do that either. Right. You give the bike to the Hessian kid at the gas station though. And they do a wheelie around the block. Cause it's, I think there's something in the like genes, the genetic code. Some people got the inner ear for it and some people don't. And I I never have. I never have either. But I do. Well, I did plan on being the first, the oldest person to ever kick flip. I was going to do one by my 50th birthday. And, uh, that has come and gone. Well, I mean, so I got like 10 I said earlier, years. just keep going. Yeah. If you, if you landed your first kickflip when you were 72. Oh, be huge. But then there'd be, be somebody else who'd land it when they were like 74 and I'd be yesterday's news. Do you, do you follow Tony Alva? Do you see the things that Tony Alva does? Yeah. He's yeah. north of 60. He's 62, 63 now. Yeah, yeah, he's sick, man. He's so he's so rad. He's so rad yeah. that Vance did a really great documentary about him. And yeah. he talks about, you know, like how he kind of went down the rabbit hole or not that he kind of went, de- sorry, went down the drain and mixing my metaphors. He went down the drain with drugs and alcohol and he cleaned himself up and he's still ripping. I got to meet him. He was at the Grinduro uh, playing music with the Matson 2 a couple of years ago. And um, I didn't know he was going to be there. You know, I wasn't there to race. I got that's, invited to set up the table. That's a mind blower, stuff. right? You turn around was, and there's Tony Alva. Yeah, it was it was awesome. Um, and I went and I introduced myself to him and somebody took a picture uh, and sent it to me. And I'm doing this like hand on chest and hand on head thing. Like I was like, I mean, it was it was a, a physical representation of being totally gobsmacked. Yeah, like. He was really gracious. He was really nice. And I don't know what kind of jibber jabber I spewed at him, but he's like the shaman of the oddballs. Oh man. He's, he's rad. No, you know who I really, really, really love like a lot. I'm going to, can I guess? Yeah. Is it Lance mountain? Well, I do love him, but in terms (laughs) of like the shamans of the oddballs, that'd be Steve Olson. Oh, Steve Olson is, The weirdest, smarmiest, sweatiest, most handsome motherfucker. He is just the best. And every time he would show up in an interview, uh, Vance did a video series called Love Letters to Skateboarding yep. for a number of seasons. I mean, Grosso is a shaman, too, while Grosso's, we're at it. Grosso is great. But, I mean, he was a perfect person for, for that role. But every time he interviewed Steve Olson, every time Steve Olson said anything, anything that comes out of his mouth is gold. And if anybody is listening, if you haven't seen the Fathers and Sons episode of Skate, uh, Love Letters to Skateboarding, it's it's brilliant. Everything I've watched it, I've watched it a dozen times, and it still brings me to tears. It's so funny. Steve Olson is such a nine ball. I love These it. These are the, I love the it. spiritual texts of the modern dirtbag. 
I think, yeah, you know, and I think when we're talking at some point, we're talking about like, why doesn't skateboarding have these people, these types of people or these types of personalities? Cycling. Or why, why does cycling not have these types right. of personalities and skateboarding does is I think it's because skateboarding is so much younger and it's really still kind of this like, you know, kind of this fringe thing. Maybe it being in the Olympics will change stuff, but you know, when you've got people like Steve Olson and Lance, uh, excuse me, uh, Tony Alva and Stacy Peralta and all these people who were doing it at its inception pretty much. And they're still alive and they're still influencing trends and they're still influencing the industry. Like, you know, you're a bunch of misfits that started this and you're a bunch of misfits that are still running it. Yeah. But I did get to meet Steve Olson at, uh, when I worked at Santa Cruz bikes, uh, Novak, Rick Novak, Rich Novak, excuse me, who owns NHS. And he's just, he's like this rad, like beach mafia guy. (laughs) He brought, he brought Steve Olson to the factory uh, and they were poking around. And I was again, like same thing. If somebody had taken a picture, I would have just been like, you know, like Macaulay Culkin. Right. Shocked hands on cheeks. Yeah. He's got the Ray-Ban sunglasses and the tuxedo shirt buttoned down to his navel and he's all sweaty and his hair's greasy. <laughs> and it's just the guy's the best. The guy's the best. I couldn't even say anything. I just stared at him. Right. And if I had gotten beyond that moment of, of starstruckness, because I don't really get starstruck. I don't get starstruck. But what does really freak me out is seeing people in three dimensions. I, I find myself off put by asymmetrical relationships. I don't like a situation where I know a lot about you and you don't know anything about anything. Me. Uh, total. That just feels. Anonymity. Yeah. Like it's I'm weird. trying to. I could relate to a person on a personal level as long as we're, you know, kind of coming at it from the same level. But I don't like unlike you, I don't like to meet my heroes for exactly this this reason. I just I'll leave them there. They're on whatever level they're on. You know, I know why you like it, because they 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 do have a lot to share. Yeah. Uh, and they can, you know, lift you and inspire you in other ways. And I just, I'm, I'm so, um, I don't, I really dislike being, I, I just don't like that inequity. I guess, you know, my heroes are people who <clears throat> are, they're, they're not, they're just normal people. It's just that I know a ton about them and right. maybe a small community people know a ton <laughs> about them, but they're not. Yeah. They're nobodies really right, on the right, grand right. on the, in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. Um, and I was just talking with this guy yesterday or the day before, like I get the same thing with anything I've seen a ton of, like the first time I saw the Eiffel tower, it was like this flip book of a thousand images. Every time I'd seen it in posters or in Warner brothers cartoons or postcards or movies or television shows. And then you're looking at it and it's really there. It's really there in front of you. And it looks exactly like, and for whatever reason, my brain is constantly surprised by that. Like I expect the Eiffel tower to not look exactly like it looks in every form of media in which I've ever seen it. Right. So it's kind of the same thing when I get to see somebody, when I get to meet someone who I'm super familiar with, and there is this dumbstruckness that happens where it's like, 
you know, of course the person looks exactly like they look in the movies or in pictures or whatever. Like it's fucking them dummy. Well, there's an element though. You and I talked about this before. I was talking about sports as character driven entertainment. Like they're not real people. You don't know them, right? So they're not a real person. Like Princess Diana, that was that a real person? I don't know. It was a it was a character on my not television. As, not as far as I know. Yeah, exactly. Those aren't real people. Those are characters no. um, yeah. that are, participate in whatever comedy drama that I see on the computer, or on TV, or whatever. So then, when they become when they become a real person, and like a real person, like processing them as a regular person is like, what the fuck? You're a character. You're fucking Bugs Bunny. You're not fucking Tony Alva. You're Bugs Bunny. Yeah. And then, of course, you said, what's up, Doc? Of course you did, because that's what you said. That's what you do. That's who you are. Yeah. You're Tony Alva. You eat carrots and say, what's up, Doc? I think I think at least as far as Tony is concerned, like he's done. He's been him his whole life. He's had the rock star. He's yeah, he's he's had the meteoric rise and he's had the incredible fall and um you know had everything lost everything like like has had this huge um uh range of experiences that it's i i get the sense it's kind of humbled him you know and now and now he's like i got my friends i got my health i got skateboarding i got god i think he kind of like went down this religious path and right you know, it's, Surfs. it's, yeah. it's what gives him a foundation of existence and, and all of the trappings and all the other stuff isn't important. So when you get to finally meet somebody like that, yeah, that's powerful. I don't know, you're right. I do like to, I do like to meet the people that I, that I look up to and at least just to thank them for being a cool influence on my life, you know, yeah. and not yeah, yeah. to say, not to, not to load them down with a bunch of nonsense or you remember when I, you remember I wrote you a letter when in 1986 <laughs> or anything like that. It's not yeah. like that, but to find out that they're actual like cool people. Yeah. I'm not, I'm, I would not I argue that. for a moment that my approach is correct. It's just the one that I can handle with my own bizarre egoy weird shit. Well, it definitely sucks when you meet somebody and they're a kook. You yeah, know, like I've had that. that experience where they've been like not cool. And I bought, I thought, OK, I'm just going to leave everybody out here. And part of that is I don't want the burden of knowing they're an asshole because actually regular people are assholes. I'm one. Sure. You know, humans are imperfect. I don't want to know that they're imperfect. Hmm. You know, um, like one person that is close to my orbit is Bob Mould. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of my very oldest friends is his tour manager and sound guy. And I go see him every time he comes to Boston. And my friend Shay says to me, do you want to meet Bob? And I say no, because where the way I live my life right now, Bob Mould could walk up to my front door like Ed McMahon and say, hey, John, it's me, Bob Mould. Can I shit in your hand? And I'd say, yes, Bob Mould. <laughs> everything, everything that you do is perfect. So I don't really want shit in my hand. But if it's your shit, it must make sense. This must be the right thing to do. I appreciate you taking me in my hand in consideration. Yeah, exactly. This exactly. Is be fun. I, yeah. Do you need me to keep the shit or can <laughs> I, you know, so like I would rather maintain the illusion that, you know, he's a perfect, perfect person, you know, but he kind of like, he kind of is like, of course, 
he has bad days. Like we all sure, have sure, bad sure. days. People, yeah, yeah, yeah. Pe- human beings have bad days. So you're going to run into somebody and they're having a bad day or maybe their their animal just died or they split up with their partner or whatever and you're going to you're going to approach them and be super excited and they're going to be having the worst day of their life and this interaction is going to be foundational and be like, I love this person so much. And it, it, they ended up being kind of a jerk. Right. You have no idea what's the adage. It's something you have no idea what, how somebody's eggs were prepared that morning or they had yeah. runny eggs that morning or something. Maybe I just made that up. Well, everyone has a shitty story arc, right? Everyone goes through sure. mess. Everyone. That's like the human story. Everyone is humbled at some point. Yeah. Yeah. But I everyone took, acts like an asshole. I think Bob is. I think Bob's pretty great. I think yeah. he, I mean, he, I don't think he has bad days. That's my okay. cousin, did, did we talk about this? My cousin went, was on tour with him two years ago, maybe did two tours with him oh. and opened for him. And he sent me this really cool text message. I think it was when he was in his first tour and he was just talking about sort of like reflecting on when we were kids and we'd listen to punk rock records and, you know, like we'd listen to punk rock records with the monkeys on MTV used to have monkeys marathons. Yeah. Yeah. So we turn the sound down and listen to punk rock records and watch the monkeys with the sound off and, and eat root beer uh, floats and then go out and skateboard and then oh come back in God. and listen to more punk rock records. And it was just like, it was like perfect summers with my cousin, yeah. but he grew up to be, an accomplished musician in his own right and now does these things where he gets to go on tour with people like Bob Mould, you know, and, yeah. and have these like formative yeah, and, and kind of life changing experiences and interactions with these people that you never otherwise would have thought you could, could have, yeah. but he does sound like a real peach of a human being. Yeah. You know, if, if, if I was to meet one of these people in a, in a, in a natural scenario, I would, that would be fine. But the whole, like, do you want to be introduced to a hero? I don't want to be introduced to a hero. I think like, next time you get the opportunity, you should do it. And you'll if, be pleasantly if Bob surprised. Call me up and was like, Hey, will you clean my pool? <laughs> yep. I'd be like, Oh sure. Yeah. I'll, uh, and then I would meet him and we would have an interaction because I'd be the guy cleaning his pool. Yeah, I don't clean pools, so he'd be bummed out, and it would probably not go probably well. Probably, you wouldn't do a very good job. No, the pH balance would be all messed up. That's right. Yeah, uh, he's a uh, that that made me that made me think of that made me think of something else. Uh, meeting heroes? No, lost it. Gone. Well, we're we're way off. We're way off in space now. So let's. Let's let's bring it home. We yet again we've solved no problems for oh, anyone. We do have one more thing. What's that? We have two minutes left. Uh, this last thing that you wrote. Do I feel urgency to do things while I still can? Did we cover that? Yeah. I don't know. Cover it. Did. So it says here how often. Oh, and by the way, so robot sends sort of a little outline, and we kind of cover the outline, but we <laughs> mostly veer way the fuck off of it. But in case we, you know, end up talking about cleaning Bob Mould's pool, then we have something to kind of anchor ourselves. Doesn't strike me as a swimmer. (laughs) How often do you think about getting older and do you feel any urgency to do things while you still can? I do. And I think that's sure. I mean, I think that's relevant for for anybody. And, And 
you don't necessarily, when you're feeling good, you don't necessarily have to have that conversation with yourself. But when you're feel, feeling a little ragged, when you had a run where you found yourself dehydrated in the woods or you yeah. went on a ride where you blew your knee out and you're dragging yourself back to a road so you can go to the hospital, like, yeah, you had these conversations. These are inevitable uh, conversations that you can't have with yourself. I try to say this stuff to my kids too. Like they're young, right? Like yeah. there's that whole youth is wasted on the young thing. And it's because, yeah, of course you think you're going to live forever or whatever. 50 years is forever because it's, you know, five times as long as you've lived or whatever. But yeah, I just like wasting time. I, you know, you have to waste time too. I don't know. Nothing makes sense. Down is up. Left is right. I don't think there's, I don't think there's any, I think, I mean, for me personally, I don't feel urgency, um, because, because I am for the most part guaranteed a tomorrow. As far as I know right now, if this episode comes out and I died the day after we recorded it, then that'll be kind of the ultimate irony. And I don't think anybody would be surprised by that, but I will cry and laugh. (laughs) <laughs> that's I appreciate that <laughs> yeah uh, I told my friend Dave I wanted to be cryogenically frozen and then shot out of a cannon into the side of a strip club that's my <laughs> dying wish while uh, graveyards ain't fit to live here plays <laughs> I think there's a lot of logistics in getting that done though I have a worse one actually my death wish is to be cremated and then have my ashes compacted down into the smallest possible space and then actually be blasted into space. I actually want all remnants of me to be removed from the planet. That's you what know, I'd like. If you wouldn't that turn into some sort of diamond? Oh, I don't I know. know. That's a little more poetic than I'm looking I for. I don't I care like if that. the ash I, then I disperses. That's where you were going with that. Oh, no, 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 no. I just, I want to be, I don't want to be space garbage. I would like to be a very small thing and maybe just it, whatever's. But I like the idea that there's no evidence remaining of the crime that was my life. I like hmm. that idea. Okay. There's a lot of places they do body recycling, body recycling in Washington state. And there hmm. is a, uh, there's a really brilliant uh, podcast called Criminal that I love so much. And at one in one episode, they go to a body farm. They go to a forensics school and they go visit a body farm where they see you basically like how bodies decay when they're open to the elements, when they're in a cage, they can't get to well, by animals and, yeah. and, and gestation, just gestation periods of the bugs that live and, and all of this stuff. And then it, in the episode concludes with them like in standing in this field that's just a wash in wildflowers. And I love that. Like I want to go yeah. to a place where I just get turned I get turned into a tree or something. You know, this is the well, planet I came from. This is a planet I want to go to. I don't want to get burned. I don't want to get buried in a box. I just want to get put out in a field and degrade. I think that's right. I think it's, you know, there's seven and a half billion of us, which is we're already littering the planet with our living selves, you know? So then the idea that you would turn yourself into some sort of long lasting piece of garbage after seems stupid. It's wild. Yeah. But that's, that's humans. Lead lined coffin. The fucking lawnmower guy just showed up. Sweet. Right on time. Well, everybody, Thanks again. I hope this is better than the last one, and I hope the next one will be better than this one. 
This has been revolting. Robot and Steve. Oh.